Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we conclude our year-long study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. This is the final message of the year of the Revelation. And I know you think, boy, we've been in Revelation a long time. But to be honest, we really just touched the hem of the garment. You can preach for many years and so many things that we have not covered, so many things we didn't focus on that are still in this Word. So there's much to study, much to reap from these truths. But we've had a fun time. I've had an enjoyable time as we have made our way through this, seeking to learn what God would have us to know about the second coming, the events of the tribulation and the thousand-year reign and all those things he has helped us to see. Today we want to close this out as he closed it out for his honor and for his glory, and then we'll enjoy and partake of the Lord's Supper together. We are here in the conclusion of this revelation. And as we started that conclusion last week, we're in the second part of that conclusion, and it begins here in verse 16 and follow. This is what it says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, or all the saints. Amen. Please leave your Bibles open as we go through these verses today. The first thing we want to see is the emphatic concluding summary. The emphatic concluding summary of what Jesus and who Jesus says he is. Look at there in verse number 16. He says, I, Jesus... He makes no question about whose revelation this is, amen. This is not the revelation of John. This is not the revelation of the church. This is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he helps us to know that plainly because he stakes his name. But that brings us all the way back to chapter 1. So hold your hand here and go back to chapter 1 for just a minute. And you'll see how he attaches the very first things he says to the last things he says. And it's what John saw when he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, And I turned to see the voice which was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstand was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burning bronze when it has been caused to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. His right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in strength. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's the way the book was introduced, giving that awesome description of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and all of his beauty and all that he has done. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I have the keys of death and Hades. I'm in charge. But in case you can't attach that together, when he closes out this book, he says, I, Jesus. I, Jesus, the one that has been described from beginning and through the middle and to the end, this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also says there in verse 16, though it says, I've sent my angel to testify to you these things for, here circle this word, the churches. That brings us back to chapters 2 and 3. If you remember, we started out this study of looking at what the letters to the churches were all about. Because this revelation is for the church, it was for the churches of that day. But also, as we pointed out that time, it's for the church age. And the revelation has application and truth for every church age and every church that's existed from the time when Jesus formed the church until it will be at the end. This letter is written for the churches. And therefore, this letter is applicable to you. It is applicable to me. It is for us to grasp and for us to hold. So he says, I, Jesus, am the one who wrote it, and I've written it to the churches. It's not written primarily to lost people. It's written to the church of the living God to help us know what is about to happen, to prepare us for what is about to happen, and to keep us about the task of winning people to Jesus and helping people to be in the church so they're prepared when the Lord Jesus comes. Amen? Look what it says in verse 16. It goes on. It says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He describes himself two ways. I am the root and the offspring of David. Now, that means that he is the one where by David originated. He was the origin of David. You can read that in Matthew chapter 22. Write that down in your notes. In Matthew 22, it's when Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. He said, uh, who is David and who is the son of David? And how does the son of David relate to the Messiah and the Lord? And, and they, they don't, can't give an answer. And Jesus answers it for him. It says, David said unto the Lord or to the Messiah, he calls him my Lord. How would it be that David would be able to call the Messiah Lord because the Messiah existed beforehand? The Messiah existed forever and is the one who brought David into life. So that means that he's the root. Jesus is the root of David. Jesus is the eternal son of God. And David came into existence because he brought him into existence. But we also know that he's not just the root of David. He is the offspring of David. Because it had been foretold by the prophet Isaiah that it would be out of the lineage of David and he would be a king sitting on the throne of his father David forever and ever. That would be the Messiah. So the Messiah was going to come from David, but he also is the one who is the originator of David. There's only one person who, has, who meets that qualification to be both the root and the offspring of David, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus being the Messiah, the Lord Jesus being God of God, he's the one who created all things. He created David, and he came through the lineage of David when he was born to Joseph and Mary, and now he is out of the, sits on the throne of David forever and ever. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. 
He then says, but I'm also the bright morning star. When it mentions the root of David, that's found in Revelation 5, 5. When he mentions about the morning star, that's found in Revelation 2, I believe about verse 22, is where he mentions the fact that he was the morning star. The morning star, that star that comes up right as the day is breaking, that star that is the promise of a better day of sunlight, it attaches us back to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says that the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun of righteousness will come before the people of God and the children of God, bringing righteousness into the world. It's the idea of that morning star. The Lord Jesus Christ is the morning star. There's only one who is the root offspring of David and who is the morning star. Jesus, the only Messiah, who writes this word to the church. In that one verse, it summarizes so much of the book of the Revelation, this letter, so much of what he said and so much of how he qualifies himself as the one who is the revelator, the one who is giving forth this truth. Now, Jesus, as he says and says, I'm Jesus, he's going to say a number of things. And I want you to put them in, in three twofolds, all right? The first thing I want you to see is the twofold call to come. There's a twofold call to come. Verse 17, here it is. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who, said, who hears say, come. All right, there are two calls to come in this one verse. The first call to come is this, to call upon the Lord Jesus to come. All right? There's this calling upon, a heart call to ask Jesus to come. That's the first call. Now, who is it that is leading forth this call? Notice what it says. And the Spirit, that's capital S, that means Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit is calling forth to Jesus to come. In great hope and anticipation, the Holy Spirit of God is calling for Jesus to come. So, the Holy Spirit leads forth the call. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? For a number of reasons. You remember Jesus, when he left here, John describes it in John 14, 15, and 16, the gospel. He describes that the work of the Holy Spirit is, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Whenever I go, I'm going to send another one to you, like unto me, the spirit of truth, that he'll be with you forever. And in John 16, he says, and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to be the comforter, and he's going to be the one who glorifies me. Whenever Jesus left this place, the Holy Spirit came here, and the Holy Spirit for these thousands of years has been working now to carry out the ministry and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Drawing people, convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Drawing people to a saving relationship of God. Building His church and carrying on a work. But He's doing all of that for the ultimate glory because His ultimate purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ. And He's moving all of that as quickly as He can into place so that Jesus can be glorified. And the revelation, the experience of the revelation helped us to see that there will be no glorification of Jesus like there's going to be the glorification when it all comes to an end, right? Whenever he gets crowned. So the Holy Spirit is wanting to complete his work. For as he completes his work, he is wanting Jesus to be glorified beyond anything that could ever be imagined and for his glory. And so the Spirit is saying to Jesus, come. Come every moment. Come. 
Let it be time. Let it be the time that you come. Let it be the time that you get the glory. Let it be the time that you get exalted. No longer the suffering servant. You are king of kings and Lord of lords. The Spirit says come. Wait a minute. Not only that, it says, and the bride. And the bride says come. Now, we've gone through the revelation. You've listened to very much. You ought to know the bride is the church. So that means that the church needs to be calling forth to God, calling forth to Jesus, come. We want you to come. Now, hold on a second. I've heard people say, well, I tell you what, I'm just really not ready for Jesus to come. Well, you need to get your heart right. (laughs) All right? You need to get your heart right, and you need to get your life spirit filled. Because if the Holy Spirit is calling forth for Christ to come, and the Holy Spirit is filling and controlling your life, then you ought to be what? Calling for Christ to come. So if you're not calling for Christ to come, the Spirit is not leading your life. And and there's reasons people don't want Jesus to come. They're not ready. They don't want him to come yet because they're not ready. They're not where they need to be whenever he shows up. Get ready. Be ready. You don't know when he's coming. He says he's coming quickly. Amen? And if you'll get your heart ready, then you're ready for him to come. You're ready to enjoy that. It's kind of like whenever you, you turn, you brought your report card home to your parents. You remember that? When you made all A's, if you ever did make all A's, you couldn't wait to get off the bus to tell them what you did. But when you made a few C's and D's, you just assumed the bus go on past your house. Right? What's the difference? You're ready one time, another time you're not ready. Get your heart ready, be spirit-filled, and join with the Spirit and say, come. There's another reason some people say, well, I don't want him to come right now because there are, there are people who still need to be saved. I want to hear, tell you something. That's his hands. That's not in your hands. Amen? You've you got to rest in that. That's in his hands. Not your, What you're supposed to be doing is once you know him, you call come. And the church, every time we gather together, we ought to be saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We ought to join the Spirit and beckon his coming. But that's not all. Look what else it says in verse 17. And let the one who hears say, come. That means every individual person. We don't just come together as a church. As we gather as a church, we're calling him to come. But every one of us who, have a, who heard the word and who responded to the word of the gospel, everyone who has heard and responded, in our hearts we need to say come. So you get the picture? The picture here is the Holy Spirit who leads us to say, come Lord Jesus. And then we as the church say, come Lord Jesus. And then we individually in our lives as we meet with the Lord, we're saying, come Lord Jesus. The first invitation is to have him come. Come now, Lord Jesus. But there's a second come, a second call to come. It's there in in the second part of that verse. Listen, and let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I've told you this over and over again as we've approached the end of this book. It's one of the most amazing things to me that every time when you think Jesus is finishing offering an invitation, he offers another one. And this is the invitation of Jesus to tell people finally in the last verses of this revelation, I want you to still come. And in order for you to come, you've you got to have two, you gotta have two things that have got to be true in your life. One is there's got to be a need. You've got to realize you, need, you have a need. 
you got to realize that there's a thirsting in your soul that can only be met by the living water of God. There's got to be this need in your life. You know it. You know it. Nobody has to explain it to you. Deep in the recess of your heart, there's some need in your life that nothing will fill except God himself and his living water. And you've got to have that need in your life. That's the first thing. And then the other thing is you have the desire to have that need met. That's what it says. He says right here, let the one who's thirsty come, and then let the one who wishes. That means the desire. You want that need filled. You don't walk around half a person. You don't want to walk around that void spot in your life. And you want something. You want that. Let him who wishes take the water of life without cost. That water of life is Jesus Christ. It's what he does in your heart and life. And it doesn't cost you a thing. It cost him everything. All you have to do is receive the gift that he gave to you. Receive it freely as he paid the price for you. So the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's closing out once again, says, Listen, if you're thirsty, come. If, if you wish to take of the water of life, it costs you nothing. Come. So the church and the spirit and individuals are calling for Jesus to come, and Jesus is calling for those people who need him to come. That's the twofold call to come in verse 17. Well, I want you to see also the twofold protection of God's word. Some of the most profound words that you'll ever find in the scripture are found here in, in verses 18 and 19. A twofold protection of God's word. That's what it says. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, you need to make a note there. This is a protection of this revelation. But because of where it is placed in the canon of Scripture, it is also a protection of all of God's Word. The book of Genesis is just as much a part of the Word of God as the Revelation. Amen? The the book of Deuteronomy is just as much a part of the Word of God as the Gospel of Matthew. Every part of the Word of God is just as much a part of the Word of God. And God oversaw it and brought it together, and it became the canon of Scripture. And so what is said here about this is not just about this particular prophecy of Revelation. It's talking about the entire word of God that God has chosen to give to us in his grace and mercy. So he says this, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Here's the first warning. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. First warning, the warning. Do not add to the word of God. Why? Because it is ever sufficient and it is fully all God wants and all God desires to give to us for us to be able to live righteously and have a right relationship with holy God. Amen? He gave us everything we need. If God said this book is complete, we don't need to be hunting for anything else. And we certainly shouldn't have the authority of adding something to it. Be careful. In your life, lest you add to the Word of God. One day, we may be surprised when we get to heaven and we find out that a lot of the suffering and agony we had and plagues it had, because there's all kind of plagues. There's not only a plague of death, there's a plague of famine, there's a plague of disease, there's all kind of plagues that are throughout this Word of God. We may find out that sometimes we suffer things we shouldn't have suffered because we just decided we'd add to the Word of God and say, well, this is what I think that it really means, or this is what I think should be added. This is what got left out. Don't add anything to it, amen? Just try to live what's there. 
and do what he says do, and therefore you don't have to worry about the plagues that would be upon your life. It is ever sufficient, and it is ever trustworthy. It is a reliable, trustworthy word of God, and he gave us everything we need. See, for you to say, I need to add something to it, it's like he didn't give you everything you need, and he gave you all you need. If you'll be obedient to the Word of God instead of trying to add to the Word of God, you'll be blessed instead of being on the discipline side, which encounters some of those plagues and things that you don't want to have in your life. Amen? All right. First warning, do not add anything to it. For if you do, if you do, the plagues of the book will be upon you. Look at verse 19, the second warning. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, In other words, the warning here is not to add to it, but it's to take away from the book. To take away the book of the prophecy. Take away this book. Listen to what it says. God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in the book. Now, hold on a second. That is a more severe judgment, isn't it? I mean, the first one, if you added to it, then there are going to be plagues and sufferings in life that you don't really have to have. But this one, it says, if you take away from the words of this prophecy, if you take away from the word, the scripture, and what God has given, if you take it away, it says this, it says, you will lose out on the right to the tree of life and may, and may not enter by the gates of that city to go into that holy city, that holy place. Now, let's talk about what it's not, all right? Let me, listen to me very carefully. What is not? Well, Brother Mac, does that mean that I can lose my salvation? Does that, does that mean that I'm, I'm not going to ha, be saved because if I, I decide, no, it's not what it means, all right? Let me tell you something. Whenever you give your heart and your life to Christ, you are redeemed forever, amen? He, he made you a brand new creation. And one thing, and there's one thing that's going to happen in your life, all right? It's going to happen in your life. Whenever you get saved and you get saved by the word of God, you are going to hold this book in high esteem. Amen? Amen. You're going to hold it. This is not a doorstop. This is not something that you count as anything and everybody can have. I don't care how many you got them. This is a precious word of God. And you don't want to change it. You don't want anything to it. You don't want to take anything from it. You're going to just be busy trying to live it. Amen? Why? Because it is the basis of how you are saved. It's the basis of how you are saved. That's why it is far more severe to take away from the Word of God. For when you begin to take away from the Word of God, you have immediately said that you cannot trust it. You do not know that all parts are of God. That some are written by man, some written by God, some is, is trustworthy and some not trustworthy. And I believe this part, but I don't believe that part. Let me tell you something. As soon as you take away from God's word, you do two things. You elevate yourself above God's word. That means you're smarter than God. I don't see anybody in this room smarter than God. I'm sorry. You might look intelligent, but you're not smarter than God. Amen. But as soon as you think that you have the right that you can determine what of this Scripture is God and what is not of God, then you have elevated yourself above the Scripture and above God. That is dangerous. That's dangerous, okay? And the second thing is this. Whenever you decide that you want to do that to the Word of God, you just crumble the very foundation of your faith. How are you saved? 
You are saved by the word of God. How do you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? By the word of God. How do you know that, that, that you can be saved by grace through faith? By the word of God. How do you even know you're a sinner? By the word of God. Every principle, every truth is based on the word of God. And if you take that apart and you take some things away from it and seemingly so innocent, well, I just don't really believe that part. Listen, you shatter your basis of faith. You are not saved just by faith. You are saved by the faith in the word of God. Do you understand that? You are saved by faith in the word of God. So do not crumble your foundation. Do not take it away. For if you have taken away from the word of God and you crumble the foundation that is of your faith, then you have no basis of faith. Therefore, you have no right to the tree of life and you have no place in the holy city. You need to get that in your mind. I know that in our well-educated environment that we're in that some people think that they are so smart that they can determine what would be and what would not be let me tell you what get a little dumber amen (laughs) just be a little dumber and just be dumb enough to believe what god says all right be dumb enough to believe what god says we don't need you to be so smart because when you get so smart you just crumpled and crashed everything that's the basis of your salvation and if you don't claim the word of God and hold the word of God, it is a danger the old Satan brings about because he can give you an all arrogance, that feeling that you think you are above that and you have the ability to determine that. And what you did is just cut off every basis of grace that God can give to you. He says, do not take away from the word of God. Do not add to it. Do not take it away. For God said... I'm the protector of the word. Amen. I don't have to protect this word. You don't have to defend this word. Whenever somebody wants to debate you about it, tell them, you know, I really don't have to debate it because I didn't write it. Amen. I didn't write it. He wrote it. He's the one who says he is the defender of his word. Be warned to add to, to take away severe punishment. The last thing I want you to see is the twofold amen. A twofold amen. It's found in verses 20 and 21. That's what it says. The first you find in verse 20 is a proclamation by Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus speaking, Yes, I am coming quickly. You ought to underline those words. You know why? Those are the last words. Those are the last words recorded that Jesus has spoken until he comes again. Amen. You want to know what the last words? I am coming quickly. Those are the words of Jesus. That's the promise of Jesus. He is coming quickly. Then John, who is there to hear that proclamation by Jesus, gives two amens. Look at the first one. Yes, I am coming quickly. Here's what John said. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When he hears Jesus say, I'm coming quickly, he says, let it be done. Let it be done. That's what the word amen. Let it be done unto me. Let it be done as you have said. And he says, Lord, I am in full agreement with you. I'm in full agreement. The amen of let it be done is that, Lord, you would come. You would come. 
over and over again, you would come, that you would come, you would come with a hearty amen in agreement, in full agreement. Let it be done, Lord. Let it be done. Let you come. That's the first amen. Strong agreement that what Jesus says, he wants done. But then there's the second, the second amen. Listen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, are with all the saints. Amen. Do you hear what that says? The first amen is, Lord, we want you to come. Lord, Lord, when you come, you're going to bring all things to consummation. Lord, when you come, you're going to make all things right. Redemption draweth nigh. Lord, when you come, you're going to establish your kingdom. Lord, when you come, you're going to put to death old Satan and the old enemy. And you're going to put all that stuff away. Lord, come. Amen, Lord, come. We want you to come. But then he says, listen, this is to you. This is a prayer that is prayed for you. It's a prayer that's prayed for every believer. In the meantime, listen, that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of us. Amen. In other words, he says, Lord, we want you to come. But between the time now and when you do come, what we ask is, Lord, you would give grace. You would give grace. Grace that that which is ever needed, amen, to live in the world that we live in. But the grace of God that is ever sufficient, that is ever sufficient to provide us all we need to live in the world we live in. Isn't that true? It is ever needed, but it is all sufficient. Ever needed and all sufficient. And he says, Lord, that the grace of God, your abundant grace for what every day, every day we have to live. Right now, you need the grace of God in your life today. You're going to need the grace of God in your life tomorrow. You're going to need the grace of God however many days you've got. You need the grace of God. And saints, children of God, need the grace of God as we live our lives each and every day until he does come. John prays that prayer, and he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us. And he says, Amen. Amen. It's interesting how the the last covenant, the Old Testament covenant, the last words of that covenant, how they're what is what's said there. Let me read that for you just a minute. I want you to hear what it says. This is the way the old covenant ends in Malachi. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Hear, hear what it says? The last words of the old covenant, the covenant of the law, the covenant of judgment. Lest I smite the land with a curse. How does the new covenant end? That the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I don't know about you, I am the most blessed of all people, for I got to be born on this side of the cross, amen? I got to be in in the dispensation of grace. (laughs) I'm not under that judgment, that law, because Jesus paid the price for me, and I am under grace, and therefore I have the privilege, and you have the privilege, just as John prayed, and John recalled that we have the privilege and opportunity of calling upon the sufficient grace of God. To help me live what I've got to live. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
What a powerful word from God. Amen. What a powerful word from God. And if you've been here with us and you've seen this picture of the revelation, I do not know how you are not saved. <laughs> I do not know how you would, not, you would be able to sleep at night without getting your heart right with Almighty God. But if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to give you that privilege and that opportunity to respond to the grace of God, to know the grace of God. The way we're going to do that is we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper together as, as a family. We're going to partake together. And, and I want you to understand one thing. When you come up here, I, I, you, ought to, you ought to just quote that last verse over and over again. That the grace of God, this, this right here, this is a picture of the grace of God. A body that was given for you and blood that was shed for you so that you do not have to pay for your sin. That's the grace of God. And you ought to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. In celebration of the grace of God. But if you are here and you have never tasted the kindness of the Lord. Because you have not experienced the grace of our great Savior. I'm going to be right here in the front. And I want you to come to me and say I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to experience the grace of God. I want to be a child of God. All you have to do is express your desire friend. And we'll share with you everything you need to do. And we'll pray with you to help you know how to give your heart to Christ. What a... Glorious, wonderful thing. The greatest thing to happen today is for you to give your life to Jesus. And I pray that you'll do that. Please do not leave here waiting for another day. For today is the day of salvation. The opportunity of grace is here right now. Take advantage of that. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.